I know how it feels. We also <laughs> lost. We lost pretty early. It was, yeah. It was super bad. And anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was a shock. Anyway, I mean, guys. it's like in- England plays well, but it's the coming home from me. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the song or the or that it would be coming home? <laughs> It's the anthem. It's like the motto, the coming home, coming home. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. We love our football. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Architect Network number 19. Let's talk free modeling with Mariana, the, a.k.a. the queen of fluidity. Um, <laughs> thank <laughs> so, you, Bernard. As usual, we have uh, Guillaume, myself, and Faisal. Um uh, Mariana Faisal is is listening in, but he's having some VPN issues uh, tuning in from Dubai. Um, and of course, we have our special guest, Mariana uh, Kubudira. Am I saying it right? <laughs> <laughs> Almost there, but it's fine. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us. Where are you joining from? You're not you you back in Portugal? Yeah, I came back to Lisbon for the summer. I'm working oh. remotely from here. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought like I might as well because we are working remotely for we are doing like the hybrid scheme now forever yeah. I think. Oh, forever! Oh, that's yeah. cool. we got uh we got summoned back to the office uh, this week. So this past week we we're doing three days in the office, and uh, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system, but it was also surprising how quickly uh, it like became very normal. Yeah. Um, um, I was very curious to see that as well. Like, to be honest, I really like the office day. Uh, to be very fair, I, I thought it was very, it was more embracing, like to be with your colleagues. And then on Fridays, right. you could go for drinks. Now it's a bit odd, but I mean, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I do miss a bit of pub life back in back in London. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um Okay, guys, so get, to give you a little bit of uh, introduction to Mariana, although I'm sure many of you are kind of familiar with her already. So uh, Mariana is a Portuguese architect. Uh, she's a senior architect at uh, Zaha Hadid, and you're part of the competitions and commissions clusters in, in Zaha. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also teach, uh, you do a lot of teaching, both in yeah. uh, online and in reality, I guess you call it now, or physically, <laughs> at the <laughs> AA, but uh, also online. You're teaching at uh, your fellow Live Academy tutor, you're teaching at Futurely, and I see you're also hosting your own courses now, right? At, uh, yeah. Mariana Kuchibira.com. So be sure to check out the link and check out the courses. And um, yeah, welcome to Architect Network. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. No, thank you very much for joining. Um, I don't know if you want to add to that or or give yourselves any, uh, give yourself any other further introduction. Um, no, I think you did like a pretty, a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So yeah, um, uh, I think this talk came about. It was, uh, it, it was kind of. Um, I know we chatted around the time we did a topic on uh, parametrics and parametricism, mm. and uh, we were kind of chatting about, you know, parametrics and and Zaha. And the term free modeling came up, which I thought was like mm. a, you know, really nice description for that kind of. Uh, Maya style, freeform, kind of fluid approach to modeling. Yeah. 
And it's one of those things I always get, I always get asked all the time and I always see on computational forums or grasshopper forums or whatever, people post a picture of like, you know, something that's oh very fluid or, or like, oh. you know, complex geometry. And they're like, what script does this? Or like, what, I know. <laughs> what plugin does this? And I, you just can't reply to it. You're just like, oh, just... Oh, and now I'll reply, check out Mariana's courses. It's like, <laughs> and I think people often think that it's parametrics, but you know, it's, it's often uh, free modeling. It's kind of modeling by hand. I know. So I was curious, is the term free modeling, I mean, it made a lot of sense when you said it, is it something that, that you came up with or is that something that is, you know, Yeah, I actually, I, I kind of, no, no, no. I can't, I just, decided to start saying in the beginning I called it procedural modeling like two years ago and then that was closer to what I do and then I understood that it's not even procedural so I said this is freehand yeah. modeling it so that's why it's not something that you say in an office yeah. but I think it's the easiest way for people to understand yeah I think um, it makes a lot of sense I think it's a nice term to add to this it. kind of you know computational BIM and all these these architect terms kind of thing yeah and uh, you know what like sometimes I do have to tell to people when they advertise some courses and like the other day I just saw one like a uh, grasshopper course and uh, and um, the teaser was Soho Galaxy and I'm like man oh, I no <laughs> sometimes I, I, I tell like I message them pro uh, privately please don't do this like it's just because it's a it's a misconception. Then it's like you're misleading your students, and they will actually think that you do Soho Galaxy with the Grasshopper script. And mm. like, please don't do it. Yeah. Um, or 3ds Max. And I saw a whole account for 3ds Max, and they had all Saha projects, and we never ever opened 3ds Max like ever. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. And I mean, it's not. It's just. It's just misleading for students. Like. Yeah. It's the only thing that uh, it doesn't help them. Quite the opposite. So do you... some people really like grasshopper. Some people like free modeling, and they should understand what kind of outcome it comes from. Each right. Yeah. The real outcome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that's why it was. I think yeah. it, was, it would be great. Great having you, and we can kind of dis discuss this a little bit more. Uh, for everyone in the audience, we are, uh, I would say, attempting to record this right now. <laughs> We've got a new setup, so we're just. Uh, <laughs> This is recorded, so if you come up, uh, you will be recorded. But you know, if you if you want it, we can edit it. So just so everyone knows, we are attempting to record this one. But um, yeah, in terms of free modeling, do you have a specific definition to it, or it's just kind of a loose term? I mean, obviously, your your kind of tool of choice is Maya, right? That's um, that's yeah. kind of where this this term and and your kind of work comes from, but. I mean, do you, have you, is there a kind of definition to it? I mean, if if you were, for example, using Rhino 7 and doing that sub-D uh, kind of approach, mm. I guess that would you would you kind of put that under the same it's, category? Yeah, I think it's still pretty constrained, though. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually say that I was taught Maya. I didn't decide to learn Maya. I understood I had to learn Maya when I was on DRL. And uh, it was the software that I was struggling the most because it's very different yeah. from the other 3D modeling software. It's very, very, very different. And then I understood that that was the biggest requirement for being um, um, comp in competitions for Zaha or like um, a building cre uh, creator, basically. 
So that's how you create buildings at Zaha. You don't create them from Rhino or from Grasshopper. You create them there. Yeah. So I knew that I was the best. My biggest strength was at building creation. Uh, although I like detailing, I like uh, rationalizing as well. But I was better at that. So I thought I need to learn the best tool for that. So that's why I decided, okay, I'm going to go uh, full deep in the, into Maya. And, and then uh, my, my teacher was awful. At the DRL, he was teaching the software exactly like you cannot be taught. Like, ah, this is the tool for extrusion. This is the tool for offset. It's like the worst way. So when I finished and then I started um, doing Maya Zaha, I realized I'm getting pretty good at this. I might as well just start teaching the software. And I don't think that we have the right tools right now to do concept building, uh, not from Grasshopper, not from Rhino. So I might as well just spread a bit the words. So that's how it kind of started the free modeling thing. And the only thing I can say is so far, this is a software that translates the better um, a hand sketch to a 3D. It's very straightforward. So your hand sketch goes directly into a 3D, basically. Obviously, if you're good at it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's the one that comes closer. Of course, the software has a very good margin for for, imp- that it, for improvisation. Like it really behaves on its own if you want it. We've seen a lot of pure Maya models, and they're uh, not really my taste, like the tentacles and all of that. Uh, so that's when Maya goes crazy. But if you control it, it it goes very much in hand with your hand sketch. Maybe let it breathe a little bit, and it's a bit surprising. But uh, so far, it's a software that really I relate the most with free modeling and free hand sketch. So how does that fit in the, um, the kind of workflow in the office? Is that exactly how it works? Like you, you start yeah. with hand sketches and then um, kind of talk about the first ideas on uh, mm-hmm. with hand sketches and then eventually uh, get into the 3D modeling? Uh, not necessarily with hand sketch. Uh, some people are really not good at hand sketching and that's still valid. Um, I've seen really good designers who really cannot sketch at all, and I think that's okay. Uh, I I rarely see any hand sketch, but I can see them on their own notebook, but it's not something that you show. The sooner you get into your 3D, the better, literally. The sooner, the sooner that you start sketching in 3D, the, the, the better. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I definitely relate to that. I mean, some products, I you just start sketching in 3D. Um, you know, some some start on the sketchbook, but um, I think a, an interesting point, maybe to because there's there's loads of threads that will follow there in, in that kind of uh, so, sort of introduction was um, you kind of you you were you know studied at the AA at the DRL right and um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a a path into the into Zaha right it's it's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, do you have a an Zaharas? I guess what do you call each other? <laughs> ZH, ZHAs. Um, yeah. Exactly. Go from the AA into into Zaha, and um, is that because there's a big emphasis on uh, you know tools like Maya and and Maya and, and yeah. Grasshopper and that kind of thing? There's a very close link, isn't there, to the to the AA and and uh, Zaha, right? I still figure. I still haven't figured out why. But it is very, it is a very obvious um, uh, thing to to see. We are a lot of us from the yeah. AA. I guess it's the most common pattern. But the thing, and then with time, you realize as as their teacher, because then I became their Maya teacher for the last four years. 
that as they finished, I look at them and I think you would really fit well. Yeah. And me personally, I'm looking at them through their Maya skills, purely yeah. with Maya skills. And then I give their portfolios and then they join. I think it's organic. It's not a rule. But as their teacher, you kind of see like their outcome and you think you could really do really well in our cluster and you could really help us. And for me, it's my skills. Yeah. I mean, I guess I usually pick them Zaha was, was a big part of, of Maya. She studied there, right? And um, Patrick yeah. Schumacher is, as well. I don't know. Did he study there? Or he's, I know he's very much involved now, but... Um, I think it was. I'm not sure. I don't think. I don't think so. He's a he's a teacher there, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But the the like the funny thing to think is that uh, Maya was a software for animations, so right. DreamWorks, Pixar, it still is. And then she kind of brought this software uh, to architecture. It had zero culture in architecture, like 40 years ago. Can you imagine how crazy? <laughs> And then it's funny how it really created a culture of architecture inside of Maya. We model in a completely different way than animators. Like completely, it's like two different realities. I would never, even the high, the number of polys that they use is insane. We do a lot of low poly, so we have like three edges doing all of the work and animators have like, I don't know, 3,000. Right. Uh, so they would probably think we are crazy using the, the low poly and I think they are crazy doing high poly. <laughs> But uh, it's funny how we kind of created the culture. So we learned the tricks from the people who understood how to use Maya in architecture, and we developed those tricks. Uh, yeah, it's it's a funny thing. It's like a legacy. It's kind of interesting. I mean, that's another thread to go down. But uh, I feel like early on, especially with with Zaha and um, there's some other architects that really embrace the animation world yeah. for software because what you know architecture yeah, is not we don't create this kind of software it's not you know it's not a big money industry so we often inherit uh technology from like it seems to be aerospace yeah. or movies animations that kind of stuff i feel like yeah my, my obviously came from the the movie world like 3ds max as well as kind of part of that genre of, yeah. of animation then there was i feel like a period where you've got the aerospace with katia mm -hmm. and, you know obviously gary was famous for adopting that and you know revit and stuff like that has has come from i think that's that same kind of genre but now more recently i feel like you're seeing a shift back to animation and particularly video games like things like unreal Definitely. and unity are just getting and I've been delving into Unreal a bit recently and it just seems like the next thing will, will be kind of very much game engine based. It's just like there's so many. You think so? I think so, yeah. I mean, um, just... It's still not sticking. Like, too, in real in reality, when you show it to clients, for example, it's not sticking really well. I th yeah, I think... <laughs> they don't buy it. <laughs> it's well, it depend What do you mean? Like, um, Unreal itself. Like the avatars. Yeah, the avatars, it's, the agents it's, behaving. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's like that the experience would necessarily be like a video game. It's like um, Unreal at the moment is so flexible. Like I'm, I've seen there's some companies right now building like, you know, the next Revit is, is kind of in Unreal. Um, you can do all the like design, documentation, then you've got mm -hmm. uh, visualization in that uh area vr then you know video gamey actual stuff yeah. um and the amount of money that they're making from like these video games is insane so uh yeah i can definitely see i, I don't know if it's like architects would be actually working in raw 
unreal or someone you know some startup out there will create the next platform that i think a lot of architects will adopt that you know will be this holistic um Mm -hmm. platform I, i think but you know of course uh you know the big design firms will, will always have their more specific tools of choice but yeah the, the video game industry seems really interesting and you're also seeing i guess like uh cinema 4d seems to be making a revival i mean i remember when i was at university yeah. people were playing with it but now it's like got really popular and then you've got things like blender and stuff like that so it seems like a kind of interesting time especially coming from the world of uh animation and the film industry which which will be kind of cool to see hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I can see that happening still. Yeah. So then you're you're also uh, so you're part of the competition cluster in Zaha. So maybe it'd be kind of mm-hmm. interesting to talk about uh, how that works and like you know so because um, we 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 had uh, your partner in crime Chantel uh, on on the talk and so we got a little bit of a flavor for how she works in Zaha and and because yeah. um, she's in a different cluster, right? Or is she? Yeah. yeah. She is in a completely different yeah. culture. I mean, and it's funny how Chantal, she's she's an artist, right? We know her mm-hmm. from being an artist, and I like uh, I'd never talked to her before in the office because I thought she was this artist. <laughs> and and then like sometimes she shares she shares a screen. We are talking and about something for work, and then she's doing like pure hardcore two D drawings, cores, yeah. <laughs> like completely different from what she does, from what we see that she does. It's an interesting um, but, uh, mix. Yeah, super, super different. Um, I do th- I like what I do is very similar to what I do in, in competition. Of course, the kind of architecture that I show, which c- cannot even be architecture, but the things that you see on my Instagram is not really similar to what I do in an office, for example. Uh, I, I have ob- obviously a lot of constraints and a lot of obstacles when I'm doing for office and um it's a typology like on my instagram what you see is just me kind of pushing for my but uh yeah work for competitions and our workflow usually we work with clusters like chantal's cluster uh so it's like a collaboration with people doing 2d and us doing the 3d and uh usually it also translates to difference of software so we do the maya they do the rhino right that's Uh, this is a typical very very typical workflow yeah i was curious about that so i mean for those of you in the audience not familiar you guys work in these clusters in zaha right which are kind of these these groups that form around um you know a specific would you say topic or knowledge base or something something like that no departments they're just departments Departments, right and so do you do you ever move between them quite regularly or is it something like you kind of join them and that's that's your crew and you know if you want to join you gotta work your way over or something like that is do you move around at all, or are you, you kind mean? of stay in the cluster? No, I stay in the cluster, but I collaborate with a lot of different clusters. Mm. There are like four or five, and yeah. we collaborate with them, but from your own cluster. And moving around clusters, not really. Yeah, that's interesting because <laughs> yeah, no. a, a big, it's the complete opposite. We we have like a very, there's no there's no clusters or groups or anything. There's, there's only groups like, like myself, like tech specialists or, uh, you know, Viz uh-huh. team, BIM team, computational team, that kind of stuff. And there's loose individuals, but we form people around projects. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, it's, it's a completely, it's interesting to see that. And I know that's the kind of the two models. Like I, I've worked for firms where you are in like a, you know, a cluster or a team or a, you know, a director yeah. has their own thing. Um, 
but yeah, so, so you guys are utilizing, uh, Maya is your kind of design tool. That's, that's where the essence of the design comes yeah. from. And then, um, you kind of, I guess, would you say Rhino is, is how would you describe Rhino then? Is it, is it you? I think what is the Rhino process is like from the like software... that, that initial form, like the, the, the driving concept of the, you know, the mass yeah. or, or whatever, however level of detail you model. And then you go into the Rhino world, I guess there's still parts you'd be designing. Right. And then, you, but at the same time you're rationalizing yeah. and that kind of thing. I think, the, I think Rhino is a very good joint um, to join all the softwares to, to kind of combine the softwares. We combine everything in Rhino. So if, even if I want to do Grasshopper, I have to press, through Rhino before, so Rhino is like a, an enabler. It's a, everyone knows Rhino and the the basics of Rhino, so it's like the touch point. This is where you land in the end. But um, most of the work is the is done in Maya, like the design work, and then you bring it to Rhino either to export or to take the plans from it. We also do most of the plans from Rhino, so uh, Rhino is still like the the big guy there. But Maya is the one doing the creative work. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys also use Revit, right? Yeah, we also do Revit. But after, let's say, if I do competition, so after we win a competition, we start Revit, I don't know, a year and something after you do the competition. Mm. So we have someone in parallel setting uh, stuff in Revit and kind of agreeing with the clients. Uh, the kind of uh, file that we're going to submit. So then we start doing Revit, like, I don't know, a long time yeah. after. Yeah, like d deeper into the documentation process. Yeah, exactly. So In just for that. Maya does have this uh, grasshopper function. I'm also like, it is one of the few, <laughs> func uh, few functions, few modeling platforms I've not really dipped my toes into, actually. And I've been meaning to, to do your course on Live Academy since we, we have access to it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and um, so yeah, but it's it's on the list of of ever growing stuff, isn't it? But um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of a complete noob to the world. But there is this kind of grasshopper, grasshoppery equivalent, mm -hmm. right? I forget what it's called now. Um, you know what I'm talking about, is it? Um, I mean, it's not really grasshopper. Um, I think they're trying to develop that, but we have some very, very good um, Mel scripts and Python scripts oh, that okay. you would find, and they're very useful. Mm. Um, we also have someone who is really good at scripting in, a, in the office and doing some very, very good ones for uh, patterns and then uh, for everything that's more parametric in the mesh. Or not more parametric, but parametric. Yeah. Uh, we do have his uh, codes obviously because it's something done inside Zaha you cannot take it out of Zaha so I kind of try not to rely too much on them so I can leave the office and still know how to uh, do parametric stuff yeah so but um, yeah. he's really good he, he scripts and there are a lot of online scripts already done for Mel and Python that you can use inside my yeah I was trying to remember the the exact name of what I was thinking but it's totally uh, it's totally gone but um that's interesting and maybe we'll t we'll touch on parametrics because we during our our parametricism parametrics talk obviously Zaha comes up a lot um because of mm. you know Patrick was the kind of coin mm. the term and and Zaha's work mm. one way or another has become very uh linked with parametricism i guess you could say but how does that actually work mm -hmm. out like do you feel 
like uh, your approach. We've kind of, you know, it, we've we've discussed this not necessarily parametrically grasshoppery in a way, but does parametrics play a, a role in that early stage, or do you find it's a kind of um, in that kind of resolution stage, like you say, like creating mm. specific openings or patterns or something like that? Um, but the, would you say the building form is kind of generated parametrically? Typically, I mean, of course, this product is, is, can be it, totally different. It depends from the cluster. It depends on the cluster we are talking about. If you're talking about the Z code cluster, they mm. do start with parametric. But then again, you can tell by the scale that it was a parametric script. When you change the scale completely, um, it will be... I would say personally, a loss of time to be trying and create a script that creates massive building uh, for concept. Right. So, so no, no. Traditional, we traditionally we don't spend too much time developing a script to create a concept uh, architecture or the the first sketches of a building. Uh, not at all. <laughs> that's inter- that's not interesting because Zaha is so linked to it. I think. Um... I remember when when I graduated in 2012-13, there was a couple couple people from university that went there, and, and it, the whole emphasis was always on like, oh, you'll be on Grasshopper all the time if you're at Zaha kind of thing from the outside. But I don't think that's necessarily true, right? Or I guess it completely depends on... No, I think it's even misleading <laughs> that it's not helpful for the students, right? I mean, it's very good to have people who really uh, manage Grasshopper really well. And still, we do a lot of optimization and rationalization in Grasshopper. And it's the best so far to do rationalization. But we shouldn't be rationalizing our building on the first day or the first five months. So (laughs) we don't do that. (laughs) Uh, We would lose a lot. The building would lose a lot if you start from a script that is constrained with so many parameters. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of a term that was coined by Patrick and I think it evolved to something that it's more like a style, which is, which bothers me a bit to say style. Um, but people started relating the name with the visual and the visual does not mean necessarily that's parametric at, at all. And uh, that is a bit misleading, of course. So we have a lot of parametric even accounts and then the projects are not parametric. Yeah, I think. So it, it does not help the students, but it became like a word that has an image associated with it. And it doesn't really mean that it was done purely parametrically. I think it, it's an hybrid and it should, it should stay as an hybrid. It's interesting. And it actually, I mean, it brings me to questions about how, how you design buildings at Zaha. And it's fascinating to me because I mean, just like Oli, I come from a world where, you know, we use Rhino. And the reason we use Rhino is that we can quickly go from 3D to 2D, get plans, areas. There are so many ways to, like, do some first check on, like, you know, shadows, daylight, even structure or any kind of performance. Because um, Rhino has, you know, all these kind of plugins around it that's been developed by many uh, engineering companies, etc. So you can rely on um, how does it like how how does the process work? Do you, is it kind of like there's this pure kind of geometric sketch, um, and it's is it separated from you know all this kind of constraint at first, and then mm-hmm. you know you bring it to Rhino to start to understand how the building works, and it's kind of back and forth, or do, are you mm-hmm. able to already 
kind of understand the building in Maya? No, I mean, you understand the building in Maya, obviously, but before it's a lot more organic, this uh, back and forth between Maya and Rhino and even the... Um, even the knowledge that your cluster is developing in Rhino is shared with you organically and on a daily basis. Every minute, uh, I have exactly an idea of how much area I'm doing, how what's the scale, how many floors, what's the typology? Is it a tower with a podium or a, a tower with a rooftop? You know, like um, this communication between Rhino and Maya, it's uh, every minute, every hour. There's no like a phase that it goes to Rhino and a phase that goes to Maya. It's uh, more organic, and obviously, I also do the shadow and the solar analysis, and I do the structural analysis as well f from common sense, to be honest. And um, it's obviously done in Rhino, and then it feeds Maya with extra knowledge and extra information, right? So it's like they are going hand in hand. I usually work with the Maya and the Rhino open, but Got I it. would not dare to model in Rhino. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you use both software for what they're best at, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Is there a, a specific, is there any kind of plugin or something specific to, to bounce between Maya and, and Rhino quickly? Or is it just like a, you know, OBJ or something specific? Like yeah, uh, we have two ways. Usually um, we do NURBS, uh, we convert the mesh to NURBS. But that, that was something that was written in a code for, for by someone from the office, so it shouldn't be shared. But I mean, come on. I mean, at this point, it's everywhere. But you should you should have these two ways of either export as NURBS or you export as mesh. We don't do mesh much because it doesn't help for plants. Um, it, it is useful for some grasshopper scripts, though, so you can still export as an OBJ. Or if you're doing like sending it to a render company, you do it as an OBJ. It's a lot faster because the NURBS script is also... Uh, demanding but in a good way like you can only model with quads and so on and so forth so the NURB script is a bit demanding but it's usually the best way to export from Maya yeah that's interesting yeah I yeah. wondered if there was I was playing around with uh, there's an app called um, oh, what's it called uh, um, Beam B-E-A-M I think one of the guys is a Zaha mm -hmm. guy uh, it does the opposite it's like from Rhino to, to, to Revit um, but it's quite good actually um, but I'm sure that was, I wondered if you had a similar thing for, uh, for Maya. No, I wish they are definitely not compatible yeah. and they don't want to be, yeah. which is even more annoying. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. But, but it's, yeah, but I think Rhino is kind of trying to catch up with, uh, right. with the sub D thing. I think it still needs like a decade. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, that's what my, was my next question yeah. was like, have you, have you popped your head into that, uh, the new like Rhino seven sub D because a lot of, uh, People mm -hmm. who are, you know, maybe not experts in um, in that kind of like modeling, are, are super excited about it. But what's your kind of perspective on uh, the, yeah. the sub D world? Sub D thing. Um, so I'm in a cluster with very young uh, people. I mean, young, my age, young. Uh, so it's people who are really excited with new stuff yeah. and what's coming next and what are the news on this software and that. So sometimes we do these tutorials between us, like, oh, I've tried this. A new plugin do you guys want to learn and then we all join and we kind of discuss about it so the other day a friend a friend of mine actually did a tutorial for sub d and we all attended and we were excited to see a bit of my inside of rhino but um we also understood that it's still part of the rationalization process so it's not it's not uh, on the scope of conceiving a building it's good when you are 
rationalizing a building, like uh, you've won the competition, you have to submit uh, rule surfaces and, and all of that. So maybe you would remodel in sub D, but it's still inside of the remodeling uh, process and not the creation process. And it seems like it's still a bit far from it, but um, I have hopes. <laughs> I mean, it would be great if, <laughs> yeah. if you could get, get it to that point, but it's, yeah, like I said, it's probably yeah. got a long way to go here. Yeah, I think it still needs some time. So you joined Zaha in, um, was it 2017? Just looking at your, your LinkedIn. Yes, four years, four years ago. ago. Uh, so I was curious if you worked on the, the Morpheus Hotel because I spent, uh, I worked on that in uh, at front doing the facade for it. And I never got to see it actually built, which was... <laughs> Why? Uh, what? I went to the yeah. opening. You did the facade on my... Yeah, yeah, I was the guy, I was on the front team that was scripting that, uh, the like, the free really? panels. Um, yeah, I was trying I to think. We did we did come into Zaha and I presented in twenty. You did. I yeah. remember. It was my oh, first like, yeah. year. Yeah, it was my yeah, first yeah. year. Um, yeah, yeah. And then that's about the time I moved over to Big. Um, but yeah, I, I've have had had the pleasure to work with um, with you guys a couple of times up front, and I think from the outside, like it's. It was always impressive to see that, you know, I think from the outside, people think it's just like geometry, you know, you, you guys are just making geometry, but it, yeah. it, there's actually a, a lot of understanding and, um, you know, thinking about what is single curve, what is double curved and how it works. Definitely. Like that, the Morpheus Hotel yeah. would not have been possible if, um, you know, the logic wasn't built in like, like that. So, um, for those of you yeah. who are unfamiliar with the project, if you look up the Morpheus Hotel, it's this project in Macau. It's this uh, exoskeleton uh, structure, and it's kind of you know got this very freeform uh, interior. the uh, The project is like the the renders for that project were not the most incredible, but the actual thing is so much better. Like usually, it's the other way yeah. around, right? The renders look incredible, and then a built built products never quite stand up to renders. But this one, it was the total opposite way. Um, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the exoskeleton became the actual yeah. symbol of the yeah. project, right? Because it's so well and, executed. Because uh, I've spent so much time inside the the 3D space of those like uh, bridges. What you have to I go was there? Like, then. Oh man, I haven't. Yeah, I need to go and. Uh, I I moved from Hong Kong to New York, and then the project was getting built, but it was you know it was like. Uh, you know, three quarters of the way up, I think, when I left. I did go and see it, like, in in the early stages of construction, but uh, haven't. I... Did you experience the bridge, though? No. The bridge was the yeah. best experience. It's like a, it's like you're being swallowed by a wave. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's, in, it's I insane. Did, I always thought, like, as I was flying around it, I was like, the interior, I think the interior space on that project would be, is almost more incredible than, the, the like, the building itself the atrium and the those yeah. kind of like bridges um i'll definitely have to go back you guys all went out there right it was kind of like a office trip we did we did that's awesome office trip. <laughs> yeah we also party yeah. there in the basement in the basement we party in the basement it was a I, th <laughs> I think some of the front team went i'm not sure I, but um yeah that's kind of cool yeah. i'm still waiting for a for a big trip yeah but they uh they went to Burning Man just before I joined, so I was like, "Damn, I missed out." Oh my god! And then, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we ever get back to that normality. Um, cool. but yeah, so maybe we'll also talk about um, you, I guess it's your kind of your own approach as well, uh, which is 
you know, you use this term fluidity a, a fair bit, and that's kind of mm -hmm. like uh, almost your own design process, right? And your own kind of philosophy or, or however you might describe it. Mm -hmm. um, so it'd be kind of interesting to hear you talk about what, what is your drive behind architecture being more fluid, for example? Mm, I, I have a feeling that um, I believe that the, the orthogonal architecture was the, it's the ultimate artificial side of architecture, right? No one told us that comfort comes from the 90 degrees. And no one told us that uh, the comfort comes from angles. And uh, I still think that there's a lot to be discovered in organic architecture as the ultimate comfort for humans. Um, we came from caves, right? And then we jumped into 90 degrees walls and ceiling. And uh, I still, I have a feeling that there's the ultimate artificial space that we can create. Um, we are just constrained by budget, unfortunately, but I still think that if we do it more massively, if we do believe in organic architecture as the way to go, um, even the, the manufacturing process will be cheaper. So we just have to push for it more often. Uh, it's, not, it's not a style. I think it comes from comfort to users. So I believe in fluid architecture. I still think also that architecture is closer to nature. We still are trying to compete uh, with nature's spaces, with natural spaces. It, nature is still doing better than us when we do when we build uh, spaces. So why not going fully organic then? Maybe that's the way to go to get closer to nature. So it's not a manifesto. It's just a, something things that I read and the way I feel about space. Yeah, that's super interesting. I could totally, I could totally buy that. Um... And I think there's some really interesting, I guess you, you could also argue that is, is the box very human in that like in the one part of the human brain, you want to be super organized and like, you know, things in the corners yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it's like you say, it's, it's a more natural organic uh, feeling to be in a more fluid uh, space or like a kind of softer yeah. space. Is there, and, and, you know, there's obvious obvious constraints with construction and blah blah blah. But I feel like there's some technologies that are enabling this to be much more accessible, like three D printing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something like, for example, you're particularly interested in because you can really mm -hmm. see how that you know the the complexity doesn't become so much of a barrier because of the construction methodology. I think there's there's a really interesting projects mm. by uh, wasp 3d printing where they're kind of printing um these yeah. kind of uh egg like uh organic structures i think out of earth i'm not sure or or maybe just concrete but yeah i yeah, know which one yeah. you're talking about it's incredible especially the interior and the, I mean. the roof has got like an opening at the top which which has this really nice play on light but is that something that interests you yeah. particularly like or is there any kind of mm. movement in technology in I guess it would be in the construction space that that excites you for you know for for what you're doing. I think I was not a, a great believer on mm. 3D printing. I I did a I did a lot of studies on that when I was on DRL and 3D printing. I mean it's funny how much it grew in the past right. years, but when I was on DRL, it was very stuck in a scale. Yeah. Uh, that kind of bothered me, and I think now it's growing in scale, right? So it's it's the first time we see an actual house uh, kind of scale being made. But I wonder if public architecture is 
possible. Yeah, I, I definitely and, had a similar kind of feel. Like I, I was very skeptical, but then recently you are seeing yeah, like one-to-one houses. Or it's gone beyond just uh, you know a pavilion or something like that. Yeah, and I it also bothers me a little bit on how um, monochrom um, monochromatic it is, and you you kind of use one material or you combine two, but still they are not mixing mixing very well. But I wonder if actually the world should be built on one material only. You never know. You just change the shape and then the material is the same. And I think that's what 3D printing is doing, right? It works with one material mainly. Um, and I don't know if it can mix more than one. But um, robotic fabrication is still... I still have higher hopes that we can use robotic fabrication with the same... Um, costs than you, we do cars, for example, and to make it more common and more mainstream to use robot arms um, for building and to create patterns on buildings. So I really have high hopes on robotic fabrication. That's for sure. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is your the Zaha building the DD, DDP, uh, the Korean, um, what is that place? It's like a conference center, right? That was super interesting. I mean, I guess it was it's kind of robotics, but if if anyone in the audience wants to look up that product, the way that they made the panels was this incredible machine, which had all these pins controlled by a robot, and they could bend the panels like into the perfect shape. Um, exactly. That's yeah. that's what I mean. With the yeah. And I could totally yeah. see that like evolving. I know that that machine was. Uh, was super unique and, and expensive but I think it was like it shows the future of like that technology will hopefully just become more and more accessible and actually the so the mm. the way that we built the the Morpheus Hotel thing one was actually not like there was no robots or anything involved it was apart from like a CNC color it was actually quite manual mm -hmm. which is kind of quite quite shocking, really? like surprising um, <clears throat> yeah the panels were I mean, it was it was like a, a mold was CNC'd out, but then there was a lot of kind of, and then the the profile of the panel was was CNC'd out, but then assembling it and bending it into shape was quite a manual process, and you know they formed mm. it onto a waffle structure mold, and then um, and then uh, you know uh, welded or attached the the rails and stuff onto it. So, mm. um, which is kind of interesting. You can you can do that kind of stuff on a large scale uh, manually but I think um, you know as these technologies mm. become more and more accessible we'll see it being more and more kind of um, uh, like it'll be less of a barrier of, of construction there's a couple of great companies like uh, wasp 3d printing branch technology 3d printing is is quite interesting um, especially for, for like uh, fluid stuff they're really interested in trying to to kind of crack that uh, mm. and icon 3d printing as well is, is kind of an interesting one um mm. i i just don't think that we also need to prove that the robot can uh, start the building and finish it uh, it doesn't have to be an extreme it should be still an hybrid mm. process uh, i think that for assembly we are we are probably better because we can improvise um when we are assembly a lot of issues comes and you you kind of have to be uh, smart and have ex previous experience to kind of understand how to assembly um, it's better. But when you're bending and you are when you are um, fabricating it, maybe robots can help and then definitely work on site. It should be human 
we don't have to have a robot starting and finishing a project. I think, I think we can make it. Either. Yeah, I, th I think I, that's part of the the issue. Is like uh, I see a lot of people trying, like they try and do the whole thing, right? The like fab yeah, together and it, kind of proving a point. And then a drone <laughs> we don't flies need it that into place, and then these little drones put it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, exactly. you know, it will come <laughs> in time and steps and, you know, part the beginning is fabricated by the robot and then the assembly is like a bit more human. Or, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. okay. It's still okay. But it's also, you know, <laughs> it's fun to uh, visualize this kind of future of, of ro completely robotically made yep. uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. um, one question yeah. I got asked a while ago, which I think is an interesting one, was specifically for like uh, Zahar and um, Gary. Uh, they someone asked me was like, is it the like the software that that informs the design, or is it the design that informs the software? And my response would be interesting mm. to uh, hear what you say. Is is like actually you know Zaha for example and and Gary they were, they were almost like it was just using the software needed to create their visions. Like, I don't think the design was like Precisely. super, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think Zaha was, was really like a, you know, a, a digital architect in a way, would you say? Or like, like the, was, she, was she known for testing mm -hmm. and, and playing in 3D? Or I know she was famous for like painting and her amazing sketches and things like that. But um, yeah, did... I mean, I I have no idea if she yeah. ever opened my head, but I'm I'm just wondering. This is like a decision that you do it. Uh, you take yourself when you whenever you're modeling. Like when like when I said in the beginning, when you're modeling, Maya has a certain degree of freedom that it can take and kind of go wild and uh, do whatever Maya wants to do in the kind of curvature that Maya does. But um, usually, you kind of have your sketch in your mind, and you you make Maya kind of model what you had in mind so it's kind of an in-between uh letting maya behave on its own and when i mean behaving is doing the curvature that maya does with the algorithm or and in between that and your own sketch right i don't think it should also suffocate the software and kind of do whatever you sketch precisely you know so personally when i'm modeling i'm kind of leaving room for maya to surprise me but not that much <laughs> like n not wild Big surprises. Uh, so I want my sketch to be visible. I want my sketch to be obvious, but I also want to see what Maya is, is bringing me at the same time. Yeah, and how do you feel like the? Do you how do you know of many other offices that are using uh, Maya outside of like you know off the top of my head? Obviously, mm -hmm. you, you guys are very well known for it. Mad, uh, UN Studio. Studio. Yeah, actually, um, I was talking to one of the directors the other day. I forgot to ask him, but yeah, UN Studio. Um, I was trying to think a few, but it, it's more of a niche uh, approach, would you say, in terms of like existing architects, um, I guess. But I'm sure there'll be lots more in the future. But Yeah, we know a lot of offices that do it because they were ex-Zaha um, uh -huh. employees. And whenever they open their own office, Maya usually yeah. goes with them. Uh, it's very, very common to see people who left uh, Zaha and what they bring the most is Maya, the Maya culture. So it's kind of starting to show. I mean, you can tell that it's more and more common to see this style. Do you see that as, as, as part, of the, part of the... I think, you know, I, I do think we'll see more of it. Um, and do, yeah. 
I think it's positive as well. That's how you start like to make this less costly, more common yeah. and more accepted. I think it's the natural course of But things. um wh- one question that that I also got asked was like do you feel that because Zaha is so synonymous with with it, do you find there's room for creating unique styles uh within it or do you feel like there's still so much room to play mm. in Maya, if you know what I mean, or like that that approach, I guess? I think it will always be, be fluid. I don't think that fluidity is a style though. So everything will be fluid and that's, you should just accept that. So you will recognize one project from another one and say they are similar because they are fluid. And that comes from Maya. But there's a room for your own style inside Maya. I've seen, I mean, we have completely, completely different designers in the office and they have completely different styles or uh, aesthetics and they all come from the same software even gender ex- uh, aesthetics are very obvious inside the software um, I, I will never forget that once I saw my project leader looking at a sketch and he said I bet this was done by a girl I said yeah it was and he said yeah I can tell really? the way she models like the touch and yeah I never forgot that there's like a, a different touch on it so yeah of course you can have different styles inside of the software the software doesn't drive everything yeah. uh, i think that guys usually do like the bmw <laughs> the kind BMW of style <laughs> super sharp, sharp super sharp and super crisp yeah super hyper sharp crispy uh so there's a lot of room inside the software what would you it's say just is a more software. feminine yeah. uh, car than car style it's Ferrari. the curves it's, i think it's the curves it's softer yeah uh for cars Ferrari is pretty It's probably the Porsche, no? I I was just thinking about a Porsche. Yeah, I think maybe a Porsche. Yeah, my favorite. That's an interesting uh, topic. Is like just whilst we're on the automotive thing, one thing I always, um, whenever Zaha posts a a new project on Design, or or even when we do, or some other like you know well-known architect, one of the comments, and it it always comes up with Zaha, is like someone someone, and not the, the comments like are usually full of you know, idiots, but, but, but anyway, just as a funny talking point, like people complain yeah. that yeah. Zaha looks too Zaha, like, uh, you know, oh, this looks so Zaha. I've Zaha. seen them all. And, oh my God, I've seen them all. I've seen that this doesn't look like Zaha at all. And I've done the sketch. But it's when people, it's when people complain that it does look too Zahari. Like you're getting criticized for your, own authentic style looking like it's like (laughs) would you complain if you saw a red ferrari you're like god another red ferrari god they need to you don't get that with with cars like lamborghinis lamborghinis ferraris porsches is probably the worst like they tweak maybe like a panel and then rebrand it but as architects we criticize each other for not like it's almost like you're supposed yeah. to delete the project after you're done, never think about it again, even if it doesn't get built and start again, um, which I don't really, I don't mm. agree with at all. And I think it's one of those, of course, every product is unique and, and adapts to you know, yeah. context and all these different things. But um, I think the idea that we like throw away everything and start from scratch is a, is a huge reason why you know we're we're, we're not a moneyed industry. We're, we're it's almost like what other industry would yeah. throw everything away and start from scratch each time. Yeah, and don't forget that clients come uh, to Zaha exactly. were expecting yeah, a Zaha, right. right? 
Yeah, but but you know what? The comment that I'm most comfortable about actually is the this comment that people say this is oh, not Saha. Is, yeah. And uh, which is funny because they don't know better than what people like than people who work at Saha. But uh, that's a good comment. That means that we are thinking it outside of the box. Okay, uh, at Saha we are very much encouraged to think beyond what has mm. been done. Like literally, what has been done is not the way to go. It's what's next. What's next? Like on all projects that I'm doing, I'm being asked, asked what's next for that. Facade, what's next for museums? What's next? So the comment this is to Zara is it will probably hit me more than the problem. The the comment yeah. this is not Zara, you know. So actually, this brings a question to me. It's like you say the client come from a Zaha. Do they come for kind of the the trademark? <laughs> like the, yeah, they come the, for the Baku. fact that it's, or is it the idea of that Zaha? Like, or are they behind? You know what you talk about fluidity and like. Um, yeah. the experience of the space is that what they're looking for or, or I mean I guess there's a bit of both but um, mm. are, are you guys talking at a at a kind of theoretical level with the clients about the space and you know what, we are, what we buildings are. yeah it depends on the clients and it also depends on the um, on yourself uh, I think so I, I don't agree with all my um, colleagues to what the client uh, clients expectations are I, I usually think that the client when he when the client comes to Zara is waiting for fluidity and elegancy. I I always thought like this, but not everyone agrees. Okay, I have some directors who actually think they are looking for something edgy, which is not uh directly associated with Zaha, which is fair. It's the way they want to drive the office, of course. Um I think everyone if you're going to Zaha you want fluidity. That's that's what I think. Uh, and you, you also want to be like on the cutting edge side of architecture and you want a landmark. Also, that's something that I always acknowledge. If you're coming here, you want a landmark. Right. Um, but it, de it, it depends on, on your clients. And then clients are very different as well. Asian clients are different than Arab clients and European clients for sure. So it also depends on their culture. Some people want their culture to be more evident on the buildings. Um, some others are not really interested into culture. Now we are starting something which is very exciting, which is most of the clients want to be part of the green list building, which is it kind of encourages us to think about it. And we are having a lot of tutorials for that. And we are studying a lot on that and having a lot of consultants for that, which is very positive. And the award really encouraged clients to be part of the green list, um, it, which is like a good sign for the future. But um, yeah, it depends on the client 100%. 100%. Thanks a lot. I, I unfortunately have to leave you guys. I have to go jump on trampolines and eat cake for my <laughs> birthday. <laughs> but it was it was awesome to uh, to talk with you, Mariana. It was it, it it's Thank great you. to have these conversations. Thanks. A yeah, lot. me too. Um, yeah, no, we'll we'll keep it going. I won't keep you for too long because I'm sure you'll be getting ready. Uh, I'm sure you'll be putting your England, England jersey on soon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're not supporting England. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed, Mariana. I can't. I can't with the coming home. It's too much. <laughs> like, what do you mean coming home? I'm full Portugal. We have been winning a lot well, more. It's, this it's, is it, home. It was a. Isn't that referring? Is it, I never know if it's referring to the World Cup coming home. I thought that was always the case, but I guess it's the home of football, right? Didn't football come? Yeah, the home of football because they, they invented. Oh, well, yeah. fingers. My God. Oh, my God. I've seen the best meme 
of all times. It said something like, I bet England is going to put this penalty on their museums with the, the other stolen things they have. Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> fair point. And that's true. Yeah. What kind of penalty? I actually that missed going? the penalty. What was they doing? Oh, yeah, we. I was in the office. Oh, my and God. And, of course, like, I was the we, there's one other English guy in the New York office here. And of course, like I was watching it in a room, you know, office full of Danes. Uh, but actually the, the Danes snuck out uh, to a pub. I think they were, they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. Bjarke and the, and the crew went out, <laughs> but I missed the penalty. I was, I was like on a call or something. Um, but yeah, I, I won't keep you too long, but do we want to, I guess if anyone wants to come up to the stage and, and ask any questions, uh, raise your hands. Uh, like I said, it is being recorded. So if you don't want to, um, then I think we've got one one coming up um yeah if you have any questions for mariana or you want to um ask a question or something or or add a comment come on coming up yeah i'm coming from i'm i'm using the new setup so uh i'm hoping this is going to work if not we have carmen karim sorry is he coming up karim Karim. i'm terrible at pronunciation (laughs) <laughs> Go on. It's out? okay. Um, yeah, he's here. Do you want to shoot a question? Oh, no. Okay. I guess not then. <laughs> oh, here we go. Hi. Oh, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is a very interesting talk and, uh, uh, I'm happy to hear from someone who works with very, um, let's say, uh, irrational design. Um, I- I'm always trying to figure out more and more how to be a-, a good designer, so to say, uh, and if there's a way to quantify that or in, in any way, um, verify that and I know for example at big it was all about the purity of the geometry and you know you can't rotate things 23 degrees it has to be 45 or it has to be geometric and pure in some way or create a you know a rationalized pattern and and stick to it otherwise we can't um, you know reason uh, as to why it's not turning the way the other shape is turning. So I was wondering, um, how do you reconcile that when you design with these free-flowing curves? Is it all intuition? Um, is it all? I mean, just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't don't say irrational design to begin with. It's, <laughs> oh. it's pretty rational, unfortunately. Um, Uh, yeah it's still very I mean you have a lot of uh, parameters to consider before you start modeling right Uh, there's no pure free modeling when you are inside an office there is free modeling but it's not 100% free you're still inside of what is the scope of a budget what is the scope of gravity what is the scope of a typology Uh, what kind of typology are you doing Um, we also look a lot into things that have been done by the office to learn from it and to upgrade it. So there's a lot of process behind. You can just start modeling and and there you go. Um, and obviously there's a lot of common sense on um, how much this costs and that costs, uh, how much this, co- this curvature will cost the project. So mo- maybe avoid doing 
uh, double curvature here and there because it's unnecessary. So there has to be a reason behind what you're doing. Uh, usually my sketches that are completely dismissed since I joined the office are the sketches that just look cool. <laughs> Those are the ones that go immediately <laughs> to the trash. Uh, so it has to have a real reason behind it. And obviously uh, we have consultants for engineering who are doing the project with us in simultaneous. So we also know more or less what kind of structure we can do. Because at this point we can do whatever geometry. It really, it's really up to the budget that um, we can afford this kind of structure, that kind of structure. Not every project can afford the same structure as the Baku, which is the, uh, very, very heavy, uh, big truss, basically. So that makes so, a lot of sense. Uh, as a follow-up, if you have several options on the board, um, do you use these same parameters to sort of weigh them against each other? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we do. We have a lot of options on the board. We know what kind of client we have. We know uh, how much that structure will cost or how much span this uh Op design option needs to actually be a good design option. I mean, spans between columns, for example, could be a deal breaker. And uh, if you actually apply uh, the rules of gravity and structure in a, a sketch, will the sketch survive or will the sketch be nothing? So obviously these are the deal breakers whenever you're like um, brainstorming. And um, usually the, the design sketches that are just being design sketches, they don't go very far. Yeah, I also saw, um, I think it was in one of your courses, was it for Live Academy or, or um, Futurely, you did a section on tree, was that right? Like what is single, what is double curve that kind of thing or, yeah. And I mean, yeah. it was yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I, whenever I kind of worked with, with you guys up front, it was clear there was of like, very good understanding of of that kind of thing um so yeah i think that's yeah. I, I almost think that 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 often doesn't get taught as much uh like you know there's all these tutorials whether it's grasshopper or maya or whatever you can now like as architects mm -hmm. we can create quite crazy geometry we can create it, like geom any geometry at this point i guess but there's not that many like you know uh tutorials or courses on what is i agree yeah. we should do it yeah common sense it's common almost, sense of yeah. engineering common it's, sense of budget it's, common yeah, sense it's of almost geometry. like a geometry yeah. 101 like a construction 101 like yes you can create a double curved uh surface but these are your options you're either gonna have to do it out of this material or that material and so uh yeah i think that's definitely yeah. something that's kind of missing it was it was cool to see it was part of your course well, that was that on uh futurely right or was that I think it was. I think it was with Mill. I don't remember, but exactly. I oh. think it was just a sketch in the end that I kind of uh, told them yeah. this is a double curve, this is a single curve, and yeah. there's a very big budget <laughs> difference between one and yeah. the other one. <laughs> uh, I see we got uh, Locke yeah. has come up to stage. Do you want uh, have a question or something you want to add? Yeah. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a question. I got. I got two questions. Uh, thanks, Ollie, for organizing this. I always come in as a listener just to learn, and then thanks, Mariana for a, a fantastic sharing, you know. Uh, Zahadid, I mean, I'm also uh, teaching in university and all that. Zahadid is always either the, the best uh, admired or best hated among the yeah. lecturer because of the geometry and all that. But my question is not about that. My question is I'm more interested in like, like you're saying about different software that help you to, 
to conceive the concept, and I would imagine it would become a set of documents to be uh, construct, uh, constructed on site. So my question is that, um, number one question is that, um, is there that uh, whatever software that you are using, are they like can breach the digital gap? Like for example, your drawing can be passed on to a manufacturer and they, they have on their own end, they can process it somehow and, and really go into uh, manufacturing. And the second question is that uh, with those, uh, like for example, uh, during our time was like uh, hyperbolic palaboloid, like, uh, mm -hmm. like Felix Candela and all that, mm -hmm. that the, the, you know the structure can be formed by straight line. Mm -hmm. But now with a lot of this uh, super curve and all that on Earth, um, what, what would end up, what sort of material like, uh, that you would, uh, that the possibility of like get them constructed? Yeah, that, that, that would be my two questions. Thank you. So for software um, wise, it, it really, it takes some time to develop the project to a point that it should go uh, be manufactured, right? So for a long time, you're just jumping back and forth. Uh, the two main software, which is Maya and Rhino. Um, we don't develop a building to be built tomorrow. Okay, we do spend the time that we can on the building to make it um, perfect to be manufactured after. Okay, so document, uh, documenting sites, usually we do Revit and Revit Cards, Revit Rhino, and uh, that's where we stay. But before, I would say, very long months just developing the building. Uh, and when you are developing, if you want to go to a better level of detail, you should go to Rhino and then Grasshopper. But um, still, it still needs some long time before to be conceptualized to a point that you can really migrate from Maya to documentation. And AutoCAD is still playing like a very big role, at least in, our, in this firm, right? Uh, I know that in our firms, people don't do AutoCAD at all, but we are still relying a lot on AutoCAD and Revit. And regarding the structure, um, we do we all have a common sense on structure as designers, right? But we are we are not engineers, and I don't think we should play the role of engineers. Uh, I, I even sometimes I try to kind of say, I I think this structure should be this one or that one, and I get the comment usually. But are you an engineer? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm a designer. So we have engineers for that for structure, uh, and you do work with them simultaneously in pair from the first day and design is also being driven by them and by what they say that can be um, done in engineering wise in structure and then obviously it depends on your budget if you have really high budgets you can just do a huge mega frame everywhere in the project and it's super expensive like baku did and um and that's like zero budget. You just you can just go crazy with your forms. If you want to do the traditional structure, which is beam and columns, which is usually what the office does, you just don't see them. But the structure is pretty conventional. Um, and then most of the design work is just cladding. So sometimes we see super crazy buildings, and what's actually happening inside is uh, orthogonal grid of columns and beams. We do start with orthogonal grids in every project to see if it works. And then the cladding does whatever it wants. But um, I, I'm, I, I'm still more fascinated by what you said, uh, Felix Candel, and some work of Calatrava where your structure is not only performing as structure, but it's also design. I think that's what you meant with the hyperbolic systems. Uh, I, really, I really prefer to see those. 
um, but we are still cladding and relying a lot on cladding to create spaces. But uh, it's still pretty fascinating to see structure performing as design, like hyperbolic structure. For me, one one like uh, one like area that would be really interesting is like if I don't if the kind of very fluid geometry was driven by like real you know environmental data and it shaped that way because it's super efficient uh mm. you know because of solar heat gain or something like that and it's exactly. something that would have completely been impossible to create without a you know a computer helping to to guide you uh based on the information so i think that could be a really interesting um kind yeah. of variation or uh, addition to that yeah uh, yeah i think yeah. yeah thank you very much for the answer it's it just yeah. because i i'm like involved with uh, quite a few uh, master students and when mm. they come out with form like that and pers personally i can tell you i don't have an answer for them when they're using nerve and like you know what is the final finishes will it be concrete or will it be you know uh, fiber ca carbon fiber or, or, mm. or, or all those things but but what you're saying is very interesting like you you basically treat the structure and, and the facade or the eventual cladding as a two separate thing. So uh, my questions, my question, my answer to them is always, I say go and study Zaha Hadid's work or, or in some way like Frank Gehry's work and, and like if, if you can do it, I think definitely it can be done. It's just that you know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Thank you very much for the answer. Uh, thank no, you, sorry. Oli. I'll move myself sure. down to, uh, to the I audience. I think uh, we got, uh, I don't know if you, Mr. T. Mr. Hong, uh, do you have a question or? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, letting me speak. Um, I was actually curious about the design process. And name um, uh, this question is actually for all the mods. Um, but uh, what, for your firm, like, uh, is is it is it a team effort? Is it like? Where do you get the inspiration to come up with the design and how much of it is um, a combined effort? I think it's very subjective. Everyone has their own uh, way to design, right? And it's still very respected everywhere you, in, in every office, I hope your process is respected, whatever process you need to develop your designs. And, uh, that's something that I that they do at the office that I work for as well. So usually in my process, I tend to read the brief, get keywords, get visual keywords, uh, understand what the client wants. And then from visual keywords, I start modeling and I do hand sketch or I start literally modeling in 3D. And imagine a team of four people doing the same. Um, I like to have a lot of options Some people like to bet on one option. I, I have a thousand of options when I'm modeling. I get like, uh, it bifurcates to something else and to another option and another option. So I like to bring as many options as I can. Uh, but obviously being smart regarding to the brief that you have, right? So what's the best solution for this question? Um, that's what I do. And then you join four people, let's say five people designed. We join, we show the options and we brainstorm together with our director. And it's kind of obviously uh, filtered by what the brief wants. Okay, it's not what's the best design, it's what does the brief want and what's the best solution for this brief. And that's when you cut down the number of options to, I don't know, two or three, and then we say, okay, let's continue developing or let's just focus on these three options and 
bifurcate to some other options from them. And that's something that goes for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then you get like one option gets selected or like an hybrid between two options and the team kind of works together for that option only. So obviously it's a very big um, honor when your sketch gets uh, like all the way. <laughs> Not very common though, but you're very happy when your sketch is the one that they're betting their uh, time on. And then the whole team kind of gets together and let's make this option even better and develop interiors and develop the plans. And uh, it becomes a very, very strong teamwork. teamwork so that's the process. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got a yeah. couple more questions on EC uh, Kanika. Hey, welcome. Hi, hi, Mariana. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Uh, it was really nice to hear about uh, work process and reforms like Big and Saha. Thank you so much for organizing this talk. Thank you. Actually, my question is related to urban designing. Uh, like mm -hmm. we always talk in architecture and urban designing about fluidity and, uh, you mm -hmm. know, curves and everything. So from you, I wanted to know that how fluidity and um, uh, softwares like Maha influ uh, Maya influence uh, design making process and urban designing. Like mm -hmm. what is the uh, influence of it? What are the decision criteria and where does it actually get used? Like something you can tell me about mm -hmm. that would be really nice. Okay. Um, it's funny how you're saying that because I think that parametric uh, design really has a, is very helpful for urban, um, urban design. And uh, yeah, even definitely. when I'm doing, yeah, it's I'll, even more than just pure my, okay. When I do master plans, I need a grander force that uh, kind of unifies this urban sketch, right? And this grand force, it doesn't, it's not that easy to do it in Maya. I'm just thinking about practical, uh, practical terms. So I would most likely bring this big force that gets everything together and parametric in a way uh, from Grasshopper, for example. I think urban design, it's still better from a driving force. And then I'm, we model everything in Maya, okay? So mm -hmm. there's one grand gesture that should come from one software or sometimes the grand gesture is also done in Maya. Okay. I'm just saying, thinking out loud, what's the fastest way, but uh, you also can do it from my, it's, it's like sketching. So when you're sketching your urban design, you get like the main lines, right? The main flow lines. And then yeah. from that, you get your buildings. And then from the buildings, you get your streets and you get your facade. So it's just like steps and steps of scale. You can start from Maya, but, um, Obviously, whatever grand design that you can get from something that is more detailed, like Grasshopper, it's more helpful, I think. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you, Mariana. Thanks for the question. And then we got uh, Jesus. Is Jesus has joined us. Welcome. Jesus. Hey. Um, hola. Um, hi, Oli, Mariana. Thanks hello. for the um, Shout out from, from Jalapa, Veracruz, Mexico. And... Um, First of all, thanks um, for your time and your words. Um, you are um, one of my first um, inspirations. Um, and mm -hmm. I want to ask you something about um, the futurism. The futurism. Um, what do you think that is um, the futurism um, of today compared by um, the proposal that uh, made by Antonio Santelia in 19... 
Okay. Do you mean you talk about futurism? Is that what you you were saying? Yeah, I I I am I'm sorry. I am asking about the futurism. What do you think that is the futurism of today? Talking about materials or and urbanism. The futurism of today? I'm not sure. <laughs> Seems like uh, it's a contradiction of, of uh, meaning. But um, I do think that we are probably not going to think about the future like we did before. Uh, obviously, again, this is very subjective. I don't think we will be speculating on design too much. We are speculating on other things that is actually data from the present. And that's even more exciting. I think that nowadays we have... Uh, means to reach to present data, as in uh, climate changes, as in solar analysis. We have loads of data that before you could not reach, you had to be specialized or it was on a specific book. Uh, now we have no excuses to actually use this data uh, in our buildings. So I'm pretty sure and pretty convinced that this feature of architecture, as boring as it might sound, you will be the architecture that uses the present data. And so I hope. Um, so that's my idea of futurism. We did a lot of design speculations in the past as um, a nice futuristic sketch. I don't think that's going to be the future anymore. I mean, it's good to have speculative design. It's fun. I think that we should uh, actually get the present data of present status and put it in our buildings. That's what I think the futurism should be. Faisal actually brought that up. Um, yeah, I know he's a big uh, Patrick Schumacher fan. Yeah, and you. that was kind of parametricism, parametricism 2.0 was like, we've we've gone through this period of experimenting and now it was kind of applying it to these future issues. Um, I think that's an interesting kind of yeah. next step for, yeah, parametricism 2.0. I think so as well, yeah. I think we have less right. and less excuses to do it, right? Even if we are not asked to do it, because no, your client is mostly not going to ask you, and uh, at school they're not going to ask you. We have to do it on our own as architects. We have to bring the present status to our building. Uh, so yeah. what's the solar analysis? What's the impact on the environment? What's the impact on with the shadow? What's the impact of the footprint? We have to do it. No excuses. All right. Um, I appreciate that, and... Uh, your answer and i have just one sure. second question I'm, I'm sorry i'm very quick um yeah, do you think i appreciate all you can yeah, and do you do you think you um both um, guys do you think that is very important um today to know how to draw um for an architect i mean the most important thing is to mm -hmm. draw or it's a good question uh i was forced to i was i always uh, draw really nicely but i think it was just uh entertaining. I don't think it made a huge impact on my designs uh, to be able to draw. And I was forced in my university to draw my plans till the fourth year, like literally forced. And that made me really angry when I got to the DRL, for example, where everyone was a 3D artist and I, I was drawing nice plans. And uh, that's not something that you can put on a portfolio as well. So I, I don't think there's a a real connection between people who know how to sketch, hand sketch, and people who know how to do good 3Ds. I've also seen uh, some very, very good designers in the office um, that draw really poorly, <laughs> like really poorly, and design amazingly. So I, would, I wouldn't lose it's hope. An interesting, it's an interesting one. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you've seen like 
Gary, for example, was not like an epic sketcher. It was, <laughs> it was like, it was just like a flavor yeah. for where you're going <laughs> with it. So I don't, I don't think it's, I definitely don't think it's like the be all and end all. I'm, I'm absolutely no uh, sketching uh, or, or drawing phenom at all. Um, it does kind of raise a question about, you know, I, I, when I studied my first year at university, they, they didn't allow you to use a computer. And I'm not sure if I agree with that. Anymore. Like, do you know, I, I, I compare it to like, do English lit students have to, you know, uh, do all their essays with a typewriter or like hand, hand write it out? Like, obviously it's not yeah. a one-to-one comparison, but exactly. like, are we getting too tied up with um, with this kind of like notion that we have to do it, learn by hand and then get into the computer? I, I kind of think we should be jumping in there kind of yeah. early on. I don't know. I agree. But how much do you think we would lose if uh, people stopped drawing 100%? Like, I don't... Do you think we would lose anything on design? Yeah. Like even from first year, they are not doing drawings anymore. I think drawing helps understand things spatially uh, mm. more than having to orbit in, in a 3D environment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember yeah. when I was, when I was sketching like urban sketches, I was paying attention to details that I wouldn't if I was not drawing them. That's true. Right. But, right. but drawing your plans by hand, do you think it made a big difference? No. <laughs> Like rotating your uh, lead holder so that you don't get a thick line. Yeah. That's I not think it's, you, it's but... just like people are still doing that. You're not like banning paper from from the office, but I definitely think like t- to avoid poor young students buying all these bloody pens and like all these rulers and stuff, and then like you have it for a week and then <laughs> it's just in the corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe just one more question, Kiko. I know you've came to the stage. You're a, a regular in our talks. Do you have a question or something you want to add? Hi. Good morning. Yeah. Sorry, Hi. I'm like joining late. Hi, Mariana. How are you? Hello. Uh, just like a really quick comment, maybe more than it is being a question, but uh, talking about like the softwares and what what being what it's being taught at schools and things like that. <clears throat> and the other day I was at a at a talk by Tal Khayat, who was also an Azaha alumni. Uh, and he was saying, he's like, yeah, a lot of uh, educators would definitely disagree with him when he says, expand your digital skills as early as possible. And in terms of mm. like, he, he said like design is a talent. Uh, you either have it or you don't. And when you have it, then it's easy to develop it and, and further expand it. But if you don't, it's going to be harder, obviously. Oh, man, that's so discouraging. Why <laughs> Why would someone say that? Please. Yeah, but and, and he was saying, like, the, like, the way the industry is heading right now, where it's headed and, and what's happening is it's all about the softwares that you know and how you can realize things in, onto your computer. Uh, mm. Which, to a certain extent, like, I, I kind of agree because... For, for my school, I, I just finished my undergrad, and from day one, it was all AutoCAD and, like, very minimal hand work. Uh, but then once you finish, like, the first year, you move to Rhino, and then you kind of, like, neglect AutoCAD, and really nobody touches AutoCAD after that. And here here in California, at least, most firms are mostly mm-hmm. Revit. And actually, most of the 
all of my internships and even the job that I have right now, it's because I know how to do Revit. Uh, and, and that's what's interesting. Like you see how the first thing, the first question and, and, and the other day, like I had, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like the other yeah. day I had like this, this quick interview was like, uh, and the whole questions were like, how did you do this? What yeah. software? How long did it take you to model this? How long did it take you to do all yeah. these things? And yeah, they're like, yeah, sure. Like the design you have, the designs you're showing us are great, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, tell us the digital process of how you achieve yeah. this good looking product, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like, and, and even, and, and, uh, some students with us who, gra- I mean, all of us graduated straight into the pandemic 2020, but those who were able to get a job almost right after graduation into the pandemic was because they know certain softwares. Mm-hmm. And one firm was like looking for somebody to do how to really, how is really good at, at Grasshopper, how is really good at, at Revit or, or uh, smaller scale firms that they do mostly single family residential. Maybe they're like looking for people who are doing more uh, mm-hmm. AutoCAD, but even these firms are moving into, into Revit. There's like a huge push into Revit here in California. And actually a lot of firms are saying, we want to do Revit. Even the consultants themselves are pushing architects to do Revit because that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. Uh, and architect firms, a lot of them are struggling here in California to find people who are really good at doing Revit, which I didn't know that until I was like applying to places and they were like, oh, finally we have somebody that knows how to do Revit. Yeah, but then, but then it comes the biggest question. Do you want to be the Revit person? Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I hate the fact that I know how to do Revit because it's exactly. like... Uh... But that's something I, I tell everyone whenever you're doing the portfolio, like you have yeah. to show the software that you want to be the person doing it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and like the la- very last version of my portfolio was literally focusing on more design-based softwares and like literally taking out all the traffic mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm putting underneath like, yes, I'm putting what softwares you like, use or like yep. a, a quick comment of like steps of like uh, process. Like, oh, this was done first in Maya and then taken it to Rhino and then rendered in V-Ray or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... And, and including the, the job that I got as, as a Revit uh, technician, even that, like, I actually showed them more design-based stuff rather than I showed them Revit stuff because there was, like, a test that I had to, like, do and pass and whatever. But, it, I mean, sorry, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going, like, in tangents and, like, blabbing more. I'm, I'm no, I know, but, but sometimes it's really unfair when we are good designers and we are hired as technicians, yes. like you yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. But some people really like that job. They want to do that. So and I, they're I, kind I, of <laughs> making it hard for these people to do that, and then they're bringing designers to that. But I, I definitely really recommend everyone to, whenever you're doing a plan, whenever you're doing a render, to have a small note, footnote saying, in which software did you do this? Like even yeah. even if you picture yourself as a boss and you have a, an office of 30 people and you're hiring, obviously you want to know, first of all, what kind of software do you do? Because the design is my office design. And then of course I want you to brainstorm with me, but still, I'm still the director and the vision, but I want to know the best. Can you use, can you draw, like, can you design, can you use a pencil, you know, yeah. more or less like that. <clears throat> and also so, like right now trying like with all of this push into like the younger people getting into now to the, to the architecture, trying to understand like which software to learn between yeah. Maya and Rhino exactly. and Grasshopper and Houdini so that's why we have, and, and yeah. Cinema 4D now. There's like a huge push on like Cinema 4D. Everybody's like trying to learn Cinema 4D. Uh, and yeah, it, it becomes like... 
Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> but that's why I think uh, that that's why it's good that we are being more and more transparent in the industry. Like, what kind of yeah. softwares do we do in this office? We do this one. Does anyone do Cinema 4D in any office? No. So don't spend too much time on it unless you want to research. I also know some people who uh, like the opposite quite the opposite someone who was going for um for an interview and he was very good on renders and actually his boss said where did you render this and he said v-ray and he said can i buy the license and then you do that and he said yeah so it was the other way around it was like he was proposing a software and then the boss the, the director really bought the license for him to do it so you can also convince uh, and, and even at Zaha, sometimes we are investing on twin motion. We are investing on this because normal employees say, hi, this is really cool. Can we try this? So, but that's less common, right? They're yeah, expecting yeah. you to know the other skills and, and yeah, not some, to buy new licenses on new software. Yeah, like some companies like we're working right now, they're pushing this Unreal Engine idea and mm -hmm. they're looking for volunteers throughout. The company has like offices yeah. all over the world and like, they're looking for volunteers to join Unreal, like Epic Games, mm -hmm. the company itself, to test certain products and to try to push and understand yeah. the software and how it works and how they can implement that into the into the workflow in the office, into the design and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And that's so, super yeah, exciting. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. It definitely, it is very exciting, but it's kind of like uh, for the younger people coming in, like what should they focus on and like how they should be doing? Yeah. Like, should they go a little bit more into traditional it it depends on their drive, and... right? It depends on yeah. who you are. Some people like Oli, they like to research into different softwares. Uh, I have my, my own limitations on starting a new software from scratch, to be honest. But uh, one of the reasons why I started teaching Maya was exactly because of that, because I really realized that this has been pretty misleading and I wish I knew this before. Why didn't I know that Maya was the software that you do to conceive these buildings? And, yeah. Which is pretty odd. Why does no one know? And we are insisting on 3ds Max or uh, Cinema 4D when uh, employees are not doing it. So um, that's I mean, why you, I decided. You definitely, you definitely are pushing the Maya culture like in a whole different level. Yeah. The other day I was talking to some people and I was just saying like Maya, this Maya, and they're like, yeah, we were looking at this like Mariana lady, and she was doing like, yep, yep. So you're yeah. there. And even as Maya a student, like, it would have been yeah. a super fun like university projects with Maya if I had if I knew Maya. But yeah. But not everyone should know Maya. You should know the software that really translates you the best. Like that. Exactly. It, like a software that is not an obstacle to your design intentions. I think that's the, the base, the common ground is the software cannot be an obstacle of your design intentions um, or strategy. So I, I think that we should also be more and more transparent on what kind of softwares we do where. Yeah, and then yeah. if you want to apply here or there, then focus on that. Like, so I think that this was design. like... Yeah, driver for, sure. for, for architect yeah, network was like to have these conversations like with yourself so you know with firms like big and zaha it, it's always been a kind of a you know behind closed doors of what actually happens and, and the tools we use and there's no real secret sauce it's not yeah. like we have a yaka button that we press or like you guys have this exactly. magical zaha code or you know it's not it's just we use these tools but it's you yeah. know it's the designers that that you know, the thinking and collaborating in this environment. I would say I, I totally do get it. And I know Marianne and I have been doing these like portfolio reviews, which um, you can check out online on YouTube, on Blessed Arc and stuff like that. And I do like mm. emphasize with students because um, 
you know, there is all these softwares out there. It's like, which ones do we bloody learn? And and everyone tells you a slightly different one. The reality is that there is yeah. only a handful that are most commonly used. Um, and, you know, you can probably work that out quite quickly. But the, the other thing is that you, at university, especially at universities are, and, and my own experience, like, you know, 80% of my time was learning how to design. Like it's, it's very design focused and, you know, design can be taught. That's why we go to university and mm. our projects at the beginning are not so great and they're, they're a lot better at the end. So design can be taught, but, yeah. but not as much emphasis is spent on giving you the skill set to go into practice. And that's usually around the technology side. Like technology is such a huge part. Um, and and I was also seeing a trend in like people yeah. skipping a lot of critical stuff and coming out with like a Houdini skill set and not that's absolutely no um, nothing against Houdini but you come out into the job market and you could be the best designer in the world but if I, if someone has to pay all this money to train you up to mm-hmm. implement you in our team it's it's a big expense so. Um, you know, it's it's almost that the Steve and the Wozniak side. You you need the design and the technology, and uh, because you know you you have to be a profitable member of staff at the same time. It's a business, so it is a tricky one. Mm. And, and like Marianne was saying, I think it's critical on like what you want to do, what kind of architect you want to be, and you know where you want to go. Uh, if you want to work yeah. at Zaha and be part of your competition team, and like you only use SketchUp, it's it's not it's probably not gonna fly to it. You know, it's gonna be a difficult sell even if you you know, the greatest yeah. designer ever. Um so yeah, I think but I yeah I do emphasize and, and that's yeah. partly what these conversations are to kind of talk about what uh what we're actually using in practice, have conversations mm. with people in practice. But um and I know it's really funny that you're saying that design and technology go hand in hand. I think that's one of the reasons why teachers don't really engage into design. It's because they are so clueless about the technology behind. They would rather not even encourage yeah. the design. Uh, you know what I mean? Like in Portugal, we were not encouraged to do design. It was yeah. even like a luxury sign if, if you were designing your architecture. Uh, we are very much into Caesar and Sotomora and the humble architecture is the, the one that is praised the most. Uh, and it's also yeah. the less challenging design-wise. It has no design, actually. So, and that's most likely because they, have, they are absolutely clueless about yeah. how to get yeah. it built when and it's yeah, that's the other kind aspect of technologies the behind it. The construction thing is, is no. a big knowledge that, that's, you know, design technology and, and construction or fabrication, whatever you want to call it. For, for me, that was the like three things that are key for yeah. future architects. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I know we've had you for a little while. I'll finish on a couple super quick questions. Do you have a favorite Zaha projects and also a favorite big project? <laughs> Uh, favorite Zaha pro- it's funny because I know it's difficult to choose one, but... <laughs> that's a tricky question uh, it's very yeah uh, I'm going to be honest when I joined the office I was mesmerized yeah. by the unbuilt uh, projects of Zaha yeah, like, yeah, of the course. ones that like never every, touched when the you ground go to firm, you see all these like uh, secret so gems. I cannot look <laughs> yes exactly yeah. the ones that never made it or they lost or and I cannot look past them, so okay, I'm obsessed with the unbuilt projects. Really, they are really my favorite. 
Uh, and I also know the designers that are involved and they are really, really good designers. So for me, they're like the holy grail of architecture. And they yeah. will never be seen, but maybe we can recycle them Do you have a favorite big somehow. project that's been, let's say, built? Yeah. I think for me, culture? not the buildings, but the culture. I like the culture. Yeah, I like the big yeah. culture. I like the firm culture. I think that's what I praise the most on the cool. big um, company. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a culture that you would like to join. <laughs> you know, the, the building not so much. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan. Uh, interesting. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. I know we've had you for a good hour and a half. Um, it's been super interesting talking to you. And uh, thank you, Ali. Yeah, no. And uh, yeah, I hope we've given people time to get to the pub and go to the game. You're probably already at the pub if you're intending to go there. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, thanks again for joining. We'll be sure to check out uh, Mariana's courses. I don't know if you have any upcoming course you want to plug, but I know you've just released your own website. You can go onto Mariana's uh, Instagram and go check it out. And you can go and buy all of her courses and learn the world of free modeling so um be sure to check that out and follow mariana yeah um otherwise yeah thank you for having us we'll have a talk next week it's going to be our 20th talk uh don't know what it is yet it's going to be we're cooking something up though so it should be good but uh yeah we'll tune in next weekend same time on sunday thanks everyone for joining mariana thanks again and have a good sunday thank you bye bye have a good sunday and have a good match